afraid to live? What a question. But if you're honest with yourself, what's the answer that's most true for you? Hey, I'm Deanna. Thank you so much for joining the conversation this week and for downloading the Height of Heart podcast. As Father's Day approaches, we're taking a look at how one person's diagnosis can devastate a family. Plus, what's the significance of a name? Can you live within the product of someone else's faith? Erwin and Aaron McManus, leaders of the Mosaic community, are here as we discuss heritage, choosing your own path and returning to faith. Well, thank you both for joining me. Tell me a little bit about yourself in your own words. Let's start with Aaron. Go first. um, A little bit about myself. I am 29. I grew up with my amazing uh, father, Earl McManus, and I'm the oldest son, but I'm the middle child. We have an older adopted sister, and I've got a, a younger sister, Mariah, who acts older than me, And but she's incredible. She's a worship leader of this this um, this team called Mosaic MSC, and um, some call her the Tremble um, girl. That makes okay. sense. I've heard her sing on records. She's that makes amazing. a lot of sense. And they just they just released a song yesterday called Miracle, and I said it's miracles because that's how I made it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, about myself, uh, I, I I'm, I'm not a Laker fan, but I'm from LA. Um, I like the Warriors, and that's and that's all I got. I love London. I love London. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Sir. Oh, you want me to go? Yeah. Well, I'm Aaron's dad. And Mariah's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in a small country called El Salvador, in the capital, San Salvador. And uh, Spanish was my first language. Went to the States when I was a kid, learned English, and had no idea about faith or Jesus or Christianity. Uh, my mom was uh, a Buddhist for a season. My grandfather taught me reincarnation. My, uh, I never knew my real father, but... Um, was raised at first by grandparents, you know, became a philosophy student in college, and just began a kind of a desperate search to make sense of life. And during that time, I had uh, a life-changing encounter with Jesus, kind of changed my life. And now I live in LA, I've been living there for 26 years, married to my amazing wife, Kim. And I, I get to write books and uh, worked in the fashion industry and made films and just done a lot of really fun things in my life. So basically, we could talk to you about a heck load of stuff, but we only have 30 minutes. So I'm <laughs> narrowing it in on a few points. We're going to talk about fathers a little bit soon. First, though, let's start with the book, The Last Arrow. How did this book come about and really what's the substance behind it? Yeah, well, I've been writing for a lot of years and every time I write a book, I'm really trying to deal with a a real issue in my life for someone that I care about deeply. And, and with The Last Arrow, I was looking back over 40 years and realized that so many people I knew that had so much potential, so much capacity, so much gifting, um, never lived the life that they hoped to live, that they dreamed to live, or that we expected them to live. And they were so full of regret. Then other people who didn't seem to have as much talent or opportunity or potential lived lives that were so big that they surprised everyone. And so one of the motivators for me in writing this book is I wanted to be able to help a person to live their life without regret. So like, what, what if you could have the, the framework early in your life that so many people only have later in their life? And I, so I wrote this book about saving nothing for the next life, looking back on my life and realizing that there are certain perspectives, frameworks in my life that allowed me to live the life that I've dreamed of. And I wrote the book in the middle of realizing that I had cancer. I didn't know that um, I'd be here today. And it was kind of strange writing a book called The Last Arrow, that it might have been my last book. 
and realizing it might have been my last Christmas, my last Father's Day, my last season. But I could look back on my life and go, I would not have lived it differently. That um, I want to live my life with that same kind of recklessness that says that today may be the last day. I want to live every day as if it has, uh, it is full of meaning and possibility and opportunity. So I wrote the book so that people could come, come to the end of their life and look back and know they really lived their life well. How did that make you feel, kind of looking into the barrel of a gun almost and going, this, I might not get any more days? And you're looking back on the last 40 years, like, what's that like to be in that situation, at least for you? One of the things that I gave myself permission to do was experience whatever I needed to experience and to feel whatever I was going to feel. If I felt angry, I was going to feel angry. If I felt bitter, I was going to feel bitter. If I was afraid, I was going to just feel afraid. I wasn't going to pretend. And one of the things that surprised me is I never felt angry. I never felt bitter. But what really surprised me was I never felt afraid. Even when I didn't know uh, how it was going to um, play out. And I realized that part of the reason is that 40 years before, I had made a decision in my life to die to myself in that moment so that I could live a life that was fully alive. I think most of us, um, we deal with the fear of death, but it's actually a shadow. What we're really afraid of is life. And I, I, I could look back on my life and go, you know, I've lived this life. I, I, I feel like I've taken uh, the risks I was supposed to take, made the choices I was supposed to make, didn't live a perfect life, made endless mistakes, but I couldn't care less about the mistakes. I couldn't care less about the failures. What, I, what you really regret are the opportunities you missed. And so even though I was looking down the barrel of a gun, in some very strange way, I've lived my whole life like that. And that allowed me, when I was younger, to spend a number of years working with drug cartels. I mean, I'd be in the middle of oozing machine guns and cocaine stacked to ceilings and be sitting in conversations with guys who were holding weapons against me and people who set out to kill me. And yet I was able to be in those environments because I wasn't afraid of death. And because I wasn't afraid of death, I wasn't afraid to live. And that's what I want to pass on to people. You don't have to be afraid to die. And the great tragedy is that you're afraid to live. Have you ever thought that you'll just have nine lives or something? Because it sounds like you've gone through quite a lot. Aaron, what's it like when, you're, when your parent, I mean, you're an adult, but what's it like when your parent goes through something like this? Because you must experience it like a whole family. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think one of the one of the tougher things, and and, and there's lots of people who've who've obviously dealt with you know people going through cancer, and, and, and that's such a brutal, brutal process. For us, it was very quick. It was very much a rude awakening of we found out we, we you you had been t- getting tested for different things we didn't know what it was mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it was cancer and it was oh, two weeks from Christmas and it was right. the night of our staff party that that we really found out yeah it was tough. and and it was just a tough season we go into Christmas where we're focused on helping bring people as close as they can get to Jesus for in LA that's a that's a big season of openness and so we're trying to be as open as we can with this deep dark um, brutal kind of pain that we were very uh, it was very much so unknown and so we go into that and it was just it was gut-wrenching it was just it ripped us apart internally and I think you know it was incredible because I think God moved so much in that season from from how you got your surgeons to how what hospital you were going to be a part of to that we were so blessed like not to be cheesy but so blessed by miracles that we didn't even realize that we hadn't processed it because we were sitting inside of these like you know you, you were you were much further along than we could have ever expected and then yet everything was going to be okay 
and then you got to have a surgery that took twice as long as it should be, which was terrifying, and then everything was okay. And so we were kind of living in this like whiplash of of like, how do you feel? How are you supposed to feel in this moment? And and, and but you've always been like this, <laughs> whether it was cancer <laughs> or you were traveling to the Middle East when you weren't supposed to. And I, I mean, I remember it started. I remember probably the first time I was really aware was September 11th. You were driving to the airport, getting on a plane for the East Coast when September 11th happened and we had to call you and beg you not to and we was before anyone understood that it was actually terrorism or anything and so he's kind of always lived his life his journey's always been right there and so as as super fun as it's being his son you always realizing <laughs> that you, you need to keep a lookout he taught us to pray with our eyes open <laughs> um, and just to you know you never know who's in the room and what they have in their hand and, and, and it's just think it's, it's just been an incredible example of faith but also how to live that faith out um with the re you've you've never you've never um shied away from the fact that like we've talked about the beautiful yeah. death mm-hmm. what it means to die beautifully and it's how you live mm-hmm. and um and 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 for me i think it was always accepting this almost like viking mentality of that, that death is imminent and 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 that we can't live our life afraid of it witnessing this sort of jump out of a plane faith your whole life yeah. has it inspired you to live the same way or is it natural to take on how your parents' faith is almost, the outworking of it? Yeah, I think at first you resent it, you know, <laughs> yeah. naturally. I think I ran from it. I, I, I was 19 and I turned my, my back, less on God, mostly on Christians. And I think the way I got back at Christians was turning my back on God. And um, and I always never, always, I don't think I always believed. I, and I just didn't, um, I didn't feel like I belonged. And and I so I went as, as fast and hard the other way for a few years and that was my real college <laughs> I dropped out of college and then really went through life and I think is, is, is I think there's definitely like chest pains there's some moments where I'm like, okay, we're going into that season again where, you know, it's going to, we're going to feel full attack or we're going to, or, 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 you know, we might lose people. And, and I think now looking after a piece of our church, a small part of it, uh, you realize for the first time what it actually means to, to be in this fight for people. And that realizing there's only one way of doing this. If you actually want to reach people who don't know Jesus, you have to go there. You have to put yourself in the same danger that they don't even realize they're living in. And, and maybe it's this, the lack of, of knowing if that makes sense the surroundings of where they are because you've always just put us in the most dangerous place I grew up in East LA where all my friends older brothers were in gangs and <laughs> and I had no idea if you saw me you know 20 years ago I was rocking dickies with high socks and a shaved head and a big white t-shirt I thought I was <laughs> a gangbanger yeah I was like five <laughs> and my mom's like no no we're gonna put you some overalls and, and, and put you in back Aww. in school you know so it's, it's just funny like the surroundings you're in I didn't know I was in danger and then there were moments when I go back and he takes us back and I'm like, wow, I grew up in the hood. And, <laughs> and, then, I, and then I lived a very different life and we were very blessed. And so it's just really cool to kind of see, I think the growth of, uh, the, 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 I, li- I live in the product of his faith. And so for, I think for us, my generation and me, just in our family, we're always going, okay, we, we don't get to necessarily live the life he lived. We have to take it to the next level and figure out where we can take it from here. And he's built something for us, but also in the faith way, we know that God's going to provide for us. So I think sometimes it's easy for us to live flippantly going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's providing. And we're like, no, no, how do we take that and use it as far as we can, take it as far as we can to reach as many people as we can to go, okay, God, if you're going to, I'm going to walk to the edge and then you got to provide again. 
whether it's people or finances or churches. Right now, I'm waiting on a lease of a building. I'm, I pray I get it for a new campus that we're trying to start. So that's where I'm at. I'm, in London? No, I'm, not in London. Not in London. <laughs> that would be a dream come true for him. <laughs> not, 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 that would be a dream come true. But in, in Venice, in Venice Beach, in in, in California, and so that, and so, you know, we're looking at at that, and, and I'm going okay. Now I now I'm real. I told him I said I feel like a kid on Christmas, except yeah. for I'm scared. <laughs> okay. Because you know, on Christmas you're like, you know, there's not Santa Claus. You know, it's Dad, and if maybe Dad will get it for you. But I'm like, Dad can't give me the building. It's got to be God, um, and you just got to believe, right? And so. So a year ago, yeah. last Father's Day, mm-hmm. what did your situation look like, just briefly, and how is it different to what it looks like now mm. for your family? Mm. Father's Day was always a really um, odd day for me because I never knew my my father. And I used to escape every Father's Day until my wife confronted me one year and said, you can't run away on Father's Day because you're a father. So you can't focus on the fact <laughs> you didn't have a father. You need to focus can't on the fact that you are one. can't just be in the closet when one. you've got kids that want to <laughs> yeah. give you presents. And, and it was really true. I hadn't made that internal emotional shift in my heart. And, uh, and last Father's Day, I had just, I'd gone through six and a half hours of surgery where they uh, fought to get the cancer out of my body and save my life. And... Uh, I had worked through recovery, which was pretty brutal, mm. and um, I was probably as happy as I'd ever been because uh, I was alive, and I was, uh, for all case and purposes, I was well, and we were together as a family. And probably fighting. Probably fighting. Yeah. <laughs> probably fighting because someone didn't answer the FaceTime. You, know, you saw you saw us on FaceTime right before. Um, yeah. No, the Father's Day for us was. I mean, you, you, we talked about this. Mm-hmm. We felt as if. Um, We'd pretty much accepted the fact that he might die because of where the cancer was at, and mm-hmm. and to to get to a place where he survived, and then he was walking around, and he had already played basketball by this point <laughs> last year, and his body was healing, and 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 um, it felt like the biggest blessing. It was the biggest blessing, but also it felt like we were in um, what is it bonus time? Like we felt like we were living in in. We didn't know. We don't know. And so we talked about one of the things that Aaron told me was that yeah. he, he, one of the people who inspired him um, in his faith journey, stepped into his own life in a sense calling because his father passed away. Oh. And Aaron came to me and he said, "I don't want God to have to take you away just for me to pay attention to what I'm supposed to do with my life." That is tough. That is tough. That is yeah. tough. Yeah. I don't care how old you are as a kid. Yeah. That is tough. Yeah. And so there was definitely a, a long con- that was a long drive home. I think one of those nights when you found out of, you know, is this because th- that actually we started that conversation four years ago when I first came back to faith, mm-hmm. and um and I said I don't I called you like in tears after hearing a message of that of that story, and then and and just going hey I don't want you to die for me to 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 have to step into what God's calling me to do. Little did we know he'd have cancer four years later, and then we talked about the moment going mm-hmm. is this that moment where you die and I have to step I have to I'm getting thrown into what God wants me to do am i ready yet and and it's been a series of conversations of of we have to live like he's like you've already like you've already died so where sorry there's so much i want to get to speaking then about fathers you said you didn't know your father so where do you where have you found your identity as a father from like whose whose last name do you carry for example was there a man in your life that did raise you well my name is an alias and uh, and it's also um, an alias for the person who uh, gave me the name. I feel like you need spy music. Yeah, <laughs> dun, 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 my mom remarried a person dun, dun, dun. in creative underground economies. Who and uh, illegal stuff <laughs> essentially. <laughs> he was just a criminal. He was a, yeah. He was he was a he was a 
yeah, involved. No, in, criminals are, un, are uneducated. He was a con man. He was a con man. He yeah. was a, a edu- yeah. He was a very smart, mm-hmm. brilliant, and uh, con man, and uh, involved in a larger syndicate. And he had to escape for his life because he had stolen a great deal of money from a particular family in Chicago, and so he took someone else's identity. Went to Miami, Florida. My mom had just been there a short time because we were in all, me and my brother were in El Salvador, and she felt like she needed to find a husband to uh, be able to bring her boys across, and he needed an instantaneous new identity. And so they got married after a few weeks. Um, she, we flew to the states. He took us to a police station, convinced the police we'd been robbed and had no identity. And I walked out, McManus. Wow. So, I, so my name belongs to no one, and so it belongs to me. And I thought about it many times, changing my name, but um, back to I, what? Back to your birth name? I, I, and you know, I didn't really have it because uh, my birth name wasn't even my birth father's real name. I don't know his name. Okay. I, I you know, I, I'm just uh, I'm one of those people that if my identity was based on who I came from, I would always be searching for who I am. And so I I just basically have based my identity not on where I came from, but where I'm going. Hmm. And rather than saying my name McManus is because of my ancestors, my name McManus is because of my uh, because of the generations to come. And uh, so Aaron and Mariah are the first true McManuses. My wife was McManus before I was even legally McManus. I had to go to a judge and legally change. My name wasn't even legally McManus. It was just an alias. You've led a confusing life, sir. I'm barely keeping <laughs> up. It's, 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 it's complicated. Yeah, so I had to go to a judge and have him legally make me McManus because my wife was McManus and my son was McManus. I still okay. <laughs> so I saw a passport. Yeah. Which, uh, then my mom's family name was Cardona uh, Sandoval. And, uh, but she asked me the not, only time you've ever said that out loud. Yeah, I don't usually yeah. say that out loud. And, uh, but um, she didn't want me to take her name because she felt that it would make her seem like she had us out of wedlock. Oh, yeah. You know, so I was just stuck without an identity. So, uh, you know, some people are given a name and sometimes you just have to make a name. That must have been hard for a kid, though. I mean, it's easier talking to you now as a yeah. as a grown man. But yeah. as a kid, that sort of stuff must be really hard. It was hard. Even my first name is an alias. And which is kind of funny because my name is Erwin McManus. That's why my book just says Erwin Raphael McManus because Raphael is the only name I have that was on my birth certificate. But it's not even spelled the way it is on my birth certificate because no one ever taught me how to spell it. So I saw a movie and I saw the name Raphael. So I stole that spelling, even though it was different than the one my birth certificate so everything about my past I had to almost like reinvent and create the name Irwin comes because my grandfather was studying World War II history and decided to nickname me after Erwin Rommel Hitler's general in World War II so I've got a, a German first name and an Irish last name and I'm Spanish um, but you know it doesn't matter um I think you where you pa- came from. You definitely passed on the identity crisis, though. Because like, you struggled with that all of our childhood, and, and we've gotten to the... Uh, you've really taught us, mm-hmm. especially me and Mariah, that it really doesn't matter who you are. You either, you either do something with your life or you don't. Yeah, I always tell people, stop trying to figure out who you are and figure out who you're becoming. That's much more important. So, Aaron, you've mentioned their identity crisis, and you mentioned that you've only been a Christian or whatever for the last four years. Yeah. I say whatever because I'm a pastor's kid as well, so I've seen this a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who you don't necessarily completely disconnect with your faith, but you right. leave the community for reasons that I completely understand. And I've had a lot of conversations with my parents, friends, and sort of aunties and uncles that I've grown up with who um, it's upsetting for them when they're, yeah, they're young people who into adulthood have decided not to be in church for whatever the reason. 
season. So it's a conversation I understand, and, I, and I'm interested in, in, in your journey, if you don't mind sharing it, yeah. um, especially as a parent, like as a parent and a pastor as well, and a well-known Christian leader, how does one deal with you love your child, but they have quite obviously decided not to be in the church anymore or not to be committed to their faith anymore and run a completely different path? How is that all kind of, how does that work for you all? And I was super enjoyable too. So <laughs> I, I wasn't like the one you wanted to bring around church uh, when I was in a certain mood or something. Yeah, I think that for me, there's several things to this. One mm-hmm. is that Aaron was always more important to me than the church. Yeah, for sure. And um, and I, I can say that that was, you made that very true. Yeah, so, and, and then I was always ambivalent about Christianity, even though I was a prof- passionate follower of Jesus. I never felt like I belonged inside of Christianity. And the church was always a strange relationship for me. So I always worked outside, whether I worked as a futurist or whether I worked as a, uh, a writer or filmmaker or uh, in the fashion industry. I always had something I did outside, and the church was more my spiritual journey, but not my occupation. So when Aaron ran hard and fast, uh, one of the things I did is I started a film company and a fashion company and invited him to come and work with me hmm. so that we would have a space that we could do things together rather than because I knew he wasn't going to do anything with me in the church. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, except for just be very negative. Yeah. Um, I think that I, it, it came to the point where I dropped out of college twice and mostly the first time not mm-hmm. out of, I mean, I was a good student and I was making great grades and it was in a great opportunity. And then the second time I think I was at, at again at like my maybe my first point of like identity crisis of figuring out who I am, not just who my, my father is and not who my sister is, mm-hmm. who is the clearly talented one. Um, <laughs> um, she's just, she's remarkable. Like, I love my sister. She's like, I'm so jealous, but like in a good way, like she's remarkable. And, and then, and then obviously not my mom. And so I was kind of in this season of, of my life where I had to figure out whether, what steps I was going to take. And I decided to not take any steps at all. And so I checked out again and, and dropped out. And, and I remember my poor mother's face when I dropped out the second time, she was just like, what did you do? I packed all my, all my stuff in the tiny little car that I had and just said, I, I got to figure out my people and figure out where I belong. And, and it had less to do with um, anyone else and probably selfishly more to do with me. And, and, and I had gotten to a place where I pretty much just, I didn't like Christians. And, and I don't know if I didn't like all Christians. I think it's a pretty big blanket statement. And I'm sure there's some good ones out there. There's a good one sitting next to me and right in front of me. And, and this room's full of, full of good ones. You're listening to a great one. And, um, but I think a lot of it was I was really hurt by the people that were in my parents' life. And, and, and I was kind of always a fighter and a slightly disrespectful. But I would just say I had a, I had a clear um, uh, conscious as to who I was going to maybe like the voice that I knew was right and wrong. And, and, and I just got to a place where I was like, okay, if this is what you guys are about, the way you guys live your lives, the, ju- the judgment, I, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'd still go to church. I'd go see my dad preach and I'd go see my sister sing. And then I'd leave and, and, and I'd just talk a lot of trash about people who work there and the people who'd go there. And, and, and lead and, a different life. In a different life. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of it was like, it was, it was, it was the schools I was in. It was, you know, people took my dad's ideologies and beliefs and put them on me. And I felt like I was in a place where I had to defend it. And, and there was no love for being a pastor's kid where I grew up. Um, then, then it really changed. I, I ended up living in New York for a bit. I was going back and forth. I was just hiding from any, from anyone really knowing me. And then, um, ended up in a nightclub. The doorman invited me to church. I said, absolutely not. I don't go there to any church. And he said, Hey, you probably don't know anyone. Like I'll just take you to lunch. So we went to lunch the next day, and um, and I was 
pretty much just running still. And he said, hey, you don't have to come, but you should come. And he had just gotten, in, gotten into this church. And, and then I went into this church and I was in the middle of like the worship, and which worship really is confusing and sucks when you don't enjoy church and don't <laughs> enjoy the people that you're around. So I'm in worship and I'm having like a panic attack because I'm in the middle of this. They put me like they put me in the middle intentionally because I couldn't run. So I couldn't get out and I'm stuck. And then we end up, we end up in the, the, ho- the hotel the next morning. Um, with my dad flew into town and I ended up having breakfast with him. And I said, hey, I went to church yesterday. And he's like, I think he spit his food out. Who <laughs> got you into church? And I was like, oh, I was in a nightclub last night. And then someone dragged me in. And then, and they're like, oh, that makes more sense. And, and I said, oh, and I hated it. I think, and I was just, I was just pretty rude. I think it came down to the fact that I had, I had, uh, before you run, you deteriorate. So I think, I think by the time your kids have run or by the time you've run away from church, you've already deteriorated. And so I was having an internal, um, like falling apart before I ever like fell away. And so I was pretty broken and just not a kind person and, and pretty arrogant. And so by the time I, I got to this, this hotel and my dad and I were talking about it, the pastors of the church his whole family was sitting like two tables over and my dad gets up and hugs him and he goes actually that guy you didn't like preaching was it was one of my good friends and his son and, and um and now that guy is actually really good friends i don't even think he knows uh, he's a good friend of mine i don't think he knows how much he changed my life and so from that point on i pretty much lost we lost we had a company we were doing really well millions of dollars well and then one day you met with me in la and said hey it's all gone we're uh, our business partners that fell apart. We're moving on. I'm not going to go after him. We're just going to leave it. And I feel like God's taking me a different direction. So I just, I had just come to a church and I was like, I'm going back to New York because I think I should go back to church. <laughs> so I, I, I tied for the first time that day. I felt like God told me to give whatever else I had to church. And there's all these things and God makes up for lost time. And he preached the message two couple weeks ago called Nothing's Wasted. And, and I felt like that was my life was... I felt like I had wasted so much time and God is making up for all this time, teaching me these little lessons quickly, quickly, quickly. And, and now I'm here. So if we want to forego yeah. this incredible journey that you had to go on to then end <laughs> up back in church anyway, yeah. <laughs> how do we belong if we believe, but we don't feel that we belong to a Christian community? How, how do we do that? Yeah, I think, I think one... Don't go how I went at it. Like find humility, right? And then, and then, I, it, it all changed when I decided that the church was the, that the church was my problem. So instead of it being the problem, and then I would walk away from church, it was my problem. I'm going to go in and fix it. And so I'm going to go in and serve. I'm going to go in and figure out how I can work my way up and build into people, and then actually change the things that I think are really broken. So defend the people who need defending. Don't judge the people who don't need judgment. To love the people who need loving, and and to get the people who judge and don't love and talk behind gossip and X Y Z, get them out. So I just I I decided that my whole life was going to be spent building the church. Getting involved is getting the involved, and 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 getting involved, but not in the position of like, hey, this is mine to run. But hey, if if you're so good at running, let me serve you, and you teach me what you have, and then let me take it and try to just make it better for the next generation. So I decided to you know block the haters, and and just and own it. I think that was the difference. What would you say, Erwin? I just remember when I got a text from Aaron when he was in New York, and he said, "Hey, Dad, if we make films and make bags." and don't bring the world to Jesus, we've accomplished nothing. And when I got that text, I thought, who stole his phone? <laughs> and, uh, but I knew something really deep and beautiful was happening in him. And Because uh, Aaron was always going to be a revolutionary. He was always going to do something to turn the world upside down. He was either going to do it in a destructive way, or he was going to do it in a creative way, but it was going to happen one way or the other. Mm. 
And it was really beautiful when he flew home and he said, hey, Dad, you know, I know that you've... Because I, I stopped writing books for six years. I stopped speaking at Christian events for about six years. I disappeared. And, and I did that because I wanted to create the space because one day me and Aaron were going to be walking together again. And we were always close. We always loved each other. Um, I never felt like Aaron left me. And, uh, and I never left him. Yeah, no, if anything, we were probably closer then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I think sometimes parents miss. Like, just because your son or your daughter is running away from their faith or running away from the church, they don't have to run away from you. You don't have to make yourself the enemy of your kid. And so for me, Aaron and I were still best friends. And whether he ever believed in Jesus or not, he was still going to be my son. Hmm. And he was going to still be one of my favorite people on the planet. And, and so when he comes back, he goes, hey, Dad, uh, you need to get back into, into ministry. I mean, he's the one, him and my daughter, who called me back in because I wasn't going to come back. And they said, you know, the church needs your voice. And, and Aaron goes, you're only giving 80% and we need you to have 100%. Then later, <laughs> he sends me a text going, I was, ex- I, he goes, I was exaggerating. You I were, was being nice. Yeah, we have fun. I think, I think we've learned when to be friends and I've learned when to not be and to be the son. And we're getting better each day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that's the thing is that um, my kids' faith isn't for me. It's for them. I, I wasn't trying to bring Aaron back to Jesus so that I would be right or so that they'd be on the team or so that, um, you know, it would look good. I couldn't care less about any of that. I just wanted him to experience the life that God created him to live. Mm. I wanted him to know that unconditional acceptance and love and freedom that only comes in Jesus. And and so that's all that I cared about. I didn't care if he went to another church. I didn't care if he started one. I didn't care if he had to figure out this thing by walking through a desert or taking a pilgrimage through Spain. I just wanted him to connect to Jesus. And whatever journey he needed to be on, that was what he needed to be on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and the irony of I think that too is Jesus was less about I mean the way of Jesus following his actions was more of an issue. You know, like the character of my walk was that was the hardest part. But the thing that I hated the most about the church was actually the thing that brought me back. I hated people, and then, <laughs> and then good and then good people found me. I get that though. Isn't that funny? It's so funny. If you're a good person and you're in a church, just you're amazing. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it saved my, it genuinely did. It saved my life. It's, it really did. And what's so ironic is, I started Mosaic for people like Aaron and people like Mariah and people, yeah. you know, who are trying to create something that the world has never seen. You know, and and our 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 kids had different journeys. Mariah never ran away from the church. Mariah always was like in the middle. Uh, she stepped right into her calling really young, but she had a, a very beautiful secular music career, writing music for Grey's Anatomy and other TV shows. And yeah. and her challenge was when God told her in her own spirit that she was supposed to leave that for a season and give her gifts and talents to the church. She cried because she didn't want to do that. And uh, and I and she had told me at one point I will never ever ever never ever ever work at a church. And I'm like, hey, I'm that's not what a- we all say. That's though. what we all say. <laughs> Look where we are. It's true. <laughs> and now they're both so passionately involved. And but I never thought my kids would work in the church. See, what's ironic is that I never liked working in the church. I wanted to be a filmmaker and a fashion designer and a futurist. I liked all these other things were my addictions, and the church is what I did. Because well, what do you, what do you do? You meet Jesus and. You, you, you're part of the church 
And uh, and so what's ironic is I'm more committed to church now because of my kids. <laughs> they're the ones that told me, Dad, you got to stop being ashamed of being a pastor. Yeah. You got to stop being embarrassed, being identified with the church. You need to jump all in. <laughs> yeah. You seem very... Um um, open to sharing platform as well. Like Aaron and I could just have a conversation for 30 minutes and be sitting there and I don't think you'd really mind. Not at all. We can quite often hold so tightly to things though, whether it's in our careers, not letting go and, you know, stepping into church ministry like God wants us to do or holding on too tightly to our platform. Is that just naturally how you are or is that something that you've really made a decision? I think it's just naturally the way I am. But I always tell people, you steal because you don't know you can create. I think people hold tightly on to things because they don't believe that their hands will ever be filled again. Yeah. And and so if all you think that you can create is what you're holding on to, you will not let go. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's an interesting thing. I can say this probably easier because mm-hmm. it's talking about you, but I think a lot of the, at least in the American church, there's a lot of older pastors who didn't teach to be generous with the platform, so they don't give it up because they they know they'll never get it back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so the sons go and start their own churches because they would never give it back because their dad stayed. They became irrelevant because they they stayed uh, in, in the same season that they started. And tight-fisted, tight-fisted and micromanaged sometimes micromanaged. as well. Yeah. yeah, and they lack vision. And, and it's and it's hard because there's a lot of great guys who started great churches and didn't get the part where like they needed to turn the page. You probably turned the page almost too much. <laughs> and, and I'm like, let's turn the page back. <laughs> Uh, but you, but you really like you're you're. Uh, we talk about it. You're just you're one of the greatest. I, I think I, I told him when I came back, my job, uh, wh- my calling isn't to build my voice. My calling was to build his voice, and then maybe that'll be the day he he goes away, um, or maybe it'll be some time in the future. Who knows? And so we've kept it really open, right? Like you give plenty of room for new communicators and new and new people, and I think you you share the platform so much. We just beg you to get back up there. Um, we I believe his voice is something that would change change. Uh, I think he's a modern day like C.S. Lewis type of person. So I just really think we're in a special season where your voice is, is really resonating. So I, I get to te- you know tell a couple of bad jokes and a couple of bad <laughs> offering talks beforehand, and then and then get you get you up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know I, I just think that the future is full of so many unexpected possibilities. Yeah. And so I hope I'm not always going to be doing what I'm doing. I hope I'm going to be doing something that I've never imagined I'm going to be doing. And I didn't think I'd ever be a communicator. I didn't know that I would be a writer. Um, you know, I never imagined that I would work as a futurist. But everything I've ever done that I enjoyed, I didn't. We didn't know we'd be in the fashion industry, designing clothes. And I can bags. barely dress myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so I think all the things I've loved doing came as unexpected surprises because we were open-handed. Yeah. So we were we were capable of grabbing hold of the new because we weren't holding on tightly to the old. Okay, we're almost out of time. A couple more things before I'll have to let you go, although I could just keep you here all day. This um, is fun. Oh, you're very kind. Owen, um, of all the things that you've done with fashion, with talking on issues and futurism, with leading churches, with writing books, being a parent, being a husband, mm-hmm. all these nine lives that you've lived, um, what have been some of the hardest lessons to learn either privately or publicly, professionally? Well, that's a really great question. Really, is there a question where I go, man, I need a, a little time to think on that one. <laughs> but, um, y- you know, I, I, for me, I would say, and I've told this to my wife, that we probably gave people we should have given no influence in our life too much voice in our life. 
And I feel like that if I if I have an arena in my life where I feel like I've made mistakes that I wish I had not made is I listened too much when I was young to people who kept telling me what was wrong with me. And so I lived and what I should be doing. So I lived a life of obligation rather than a life of intention. And so one of the huge shifts I've made as I've grown in my life is I, I've given myself permission to not live a life of obligation, but to live a life of intention. Mm. And part of the reason Aaron had such a tough go growing up is that Christianity always saw me as a heretic. I mean, when I wrote, when I would speak, I would just say things that would violate people's belief systems and their orthodoxy. And, and I, I just live with the pain of that rejection so much of my life. And now you know, my wife's always going, why do you dress the way you dress? And why do you do what you do? And, and I just make her so nervous. And I go, I don't care. <laughs> you know, It doesn't really matter what other people say. It doesn't really matter what they think. I'm going to live the life I'm created to live. And what I would say is find your freedom early. That's what I would say. Just find the freedom to be yourself. I just want Aaron to be who he is. I want Mariah to be who they are. I want my wife, Kim, to be free of the fear what other people think and other people say. I just want her to find the freedom to be herself. And, and I hope that's what the church does for people, to help people realize there's somebody extraordinary inside of them. So stop conforming the unique you to the expectations of others and just be the original you. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) A good place to end, just because we have to stop somewhere. But you can keep exploring with The Last Arrow. Save nothing for the next life. It's the new book from Erwin McManus. It's available now from Waterbrook and wherever good books are sold. And there's more from the McManus family over at mosaic.org. Thanks for listening. 